church family, I invite you this morning to open up your copy of God's Word to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And as you do that, I'm going to encourage you, if you're able, to stand as we read from God's Word. I'm just going to read two verses this morning. It's going to be the focus of our time together. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. The Word of God says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is the word of God for his church today. You may be seated. If we were to continue to read that passage, we would finish out the day six of creation and we would see that God said it is very good. Church family, today I want to speak about humanity, God's image bearers, God's image bearers. And as we get started, uh, I want to ask you a question. What do the following things have in common? You ready? What do the following things have in common? Murder, pets, gossip, and handicap parking. That sounds like a strange thriller mystery novel right there, doesn't it? That's a weird combination of stuff. And yet, all of those things do have something in common. The answer is the truth that God created humans in His image. All those things I just mentioned have in common the truth that God created humans in His image. You see, our understanding of each of those things and many more things in life is ultimately determined by whether or not we believe and understand the truth that humans are made in the image of God. I want to go ahead and give you a very general summary statement of what I think we learn as we study the way in which God has specially created humans. And that's this. We must, church, we must base our value, there's our key word today, our value in life upon the truth that we are made in the image of God. We must base our value in life, our value as human beings, upon the truth that we are made in the image of God. Now, two weeks ago, we learned from Genesis 1-1 that God is the uncreated creator. And we said that the greatest distinction in all of life is the distinction which exists between God and his creation. Last week, we saw that creation is God's good work. I think the words of Exodus chapter 20, verse 11 are a great summary of Genesis chapter 1. Exodus 20:11 summarizes the creation account in Genesis this way. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. God did a great job of summarizing His own work of creation. And we said last week that the creation account should leave us standing in awe before the God who is the Creator of all. Now, if you recall, one of the truths we learned last week from Genesis chapter 1 is that God's creative work privileges humanity over the rest of creation. God's creative work privileges humanity over the rest of creation. 
I made a few quick comments about this truth last week, but today I want us to dive more deeply into this amazing revelation from God's Word regarding His creation of humans. The main thrust of God's creation of humans, the main thing that sets us apart from the rest of creation, is the truth, is the fact that we are made in the image of God. We as humans have been given a privileged position by God when compared to the rest of creation, and this truth Church has far-reaching implications for everyday life here in this world. I want us to examine what it means to be made in the image of God using two categories. One category is the category of value, and the other category is the category of purpose. I believe God's Word teaches us that because we are made in the image of God, we have a privileged value and a privileged purpose. Now, today we're just going to look at the first of those categories, and Lord willing, we will look at the second of those categories next week. Today we want to focus on our privileged value as image bearers of God. But you to notice that the text says this in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Just let that sink in for a moment. Remind yourself, let God's Word remind you who is speaking here. It is God, His sovereign God of this world. And He says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. He doesn't say this about any other part of creation. As you read chapter 1, there is this clear distinction between what's come before verse 26 and then what comes in verse 26 and following. There's a unique way in which God has created humans. He doesn't say this about the sun or the sea creatures or your pet dog or cat. He only says this about humans. The first truth I want you to know today is to share with you three truths about our value. First truth I want you to know is this. Humans are more valuable than every other part of creation. Humans are more valuable than every other part of creation. This is only our third week into the book of Genesis, but you probably figured out by now that what we find in this first book of the Bible, God's Word, flies right in the face of the secular worldview of many in our society today. That statement that humans are more valuable than every other part of creation, you may or may not know this, but it is highly offensive to many in our society, many and especially in the Western world. To even think that we as humans have more value than a dog or a horse or a tree or an ocean is unthinkable in the minds of many who live outside of a Christian worldview. It doesn't take long when you listen to some people talk about the climates or their pets or the forests that they view human beings really as a plight on the planet. If you listen closely to them, and you follow through the logic of what they are saying, this earth would be far better if humans just disappeared off the face of it. So, of course, I would probably, um, I would probably venture to say that, that they would argue they shouldn't disappear off of it. Maybe just everyone else. Now, it is true that humans often cause unnecessary harm to creation, and that is wrong. Genesis 1 clearly teaches that we as humans should take care of our planet and all of creation. In fact, we'll talk more about that next week. We have a God-given responsibility to care for this earth that God has placed us over. 
And it is wrong for us to abuse the earth and the creatures of this earth which God has given us to manage. But creation care does not mean that we devalue humanity. It does not mean that we devalue humanity. We can care for the rest of creation without viewing creation as more valuable or even equally valuable as humanity. A couple of weeks ago I said that we must not blur the line of distinction between God and His creation. And I want to add to that statement today. We also must not blur the line of distinction between humanity and the rest of creation. We see this line get blurred in many different ways. I just want to speak very kind of practically into our lives and our society and see where we see this uh, this, this blurring of the line uh, really on display. One of, the, one of the ways we see it is the value that we place on animals in our society, specifically our pets. Let me Hear me out on this. Recently, I was watching a video, and it was a guy teaching self-defense strategies. And in this particular video, he was showing footage from a security camera of a dog attacking two children who were walking down the sidewalk with their mother. You could see it, bright daylight. You can see everything that happens in this uh, in this security camera video. Long story short, it took several bystanders who finally ran, ran up. It seemed like a long time, and I'm sure it seemed like a long time to those in the situation, um, a while to get this dog off of these children. And... At the end of it, these children were inflicted with very serious injuries, had to go to the hospital. It was a, it was a bad deal. Now, as the host of the show, this video I was, talking, I was watching, as he was talking about how to defend yourself against a dog attack, I kind of got a little angry. I got a little angry because he felt like he had to defend his view that it would be okay in that instance to harm the dog in order to protect the children. He started defending himself and telling us how to get the dog off of the the children, even if it meant inflicting some injury to the dog. Why is it, I began to ask myself, why is it that he feels the need to even defend himself in telling us to hurt the dog to get it off of the kids? And the reason is because, if I just put it bluntly, and maybe this is just my flesh, we've lost our minds as a society. We have. It goes much deeper than that, and we'll talk about it in just a second, but we have. There are truly people who would be upset if I injured a dog in order to protect some children, some human children. And this guy probably knew that there would be people outraged if they heard him teaching people to kick the dog in the face to get it off of the kids and stop it from mauling them. These little two-year-olds. Now, thankfully, this guy defended his view by rooting it in the scriptural view of humanity. You know what he said? As he kind of back, backpedaled a little bit, it's like, oh, I better defend myself so I don't get attacked by, by people in our society. He said this. He said, now I know that some people treat their animals like their kids, but I just want to remind you that only humans are made in the image of God. He said that in this video that I was watching. And I said, amen. I just hate that you had to even say that. My point is that he felt like he had to say that. Why? Because we as a society have lost touch with the foundation of who we are and where we came from. And by the way, that's exactly what happens when you when you take God out of the equation of where the earth came from. When you think that we are created just by evolutionary process and not by the power of Almighty God, then it rips out any value that we have and any distinction that God has placed among his creation. 
I just think we need to be very, very, very careful that we don't blur the clear line God gives us between humanity and the rest of his creation and the way that we talk and interact with creation. For instance, church, there is a huge difference. There is a huge difference between owning a pet and having a child. There's a huge difference between the death of an animal and the death of a human. Now, please don't walk out of here saying, Zach is an animal hater. Zach hates pets. That's not true at all. If I come over to your house, as long as your dog or cat doesn't bite me, I will pet your cat, I will pet your dog. If they jump in my lap, I will play with them. That's great. Dog more so than the cat. I'm not a big cat person, but I'll, I'll still pet your cat. Though most cats don't like me. They have this inner sense. They know that we don't get along. I'm not saying pets are bad. They're part of God's good creation. If you have pets, you ought to take good care of them. And when they die, I think it's okay to be sad. In fact, even the death of an animal was evidence that creation has been marred by sin. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. It should make us sad when our pets get old and die. But calling a pastor to say some words at the graveside of your fish or your cat or your pig, which I have witnessed, at least borders on blurring this line of distinction that God has given us in His Word. We just need to always be aware of the message we're sending to our world. As Christians, we've got to be communicating the truth of God very clearly through our words and actions that humanity is more valuable than the rest of creation, even as we take really good care of the creation that God has entrusted to us. And in a society that talks to animals as if they are human which is okay to do sometimes, I think, and then dresses up their pets and pushes them around in baby carriages and calls taking a pet home from the pound an adoption and even holds blessing of the pet's services in churches, I just think we have to be very careful. Our sinful hearts, we just have to remember this, our sinful hearts are prone to twist God's creation order. We're prone to take good things and turn them into bad things by turning them into objects of worship in our lives. And we can do that with all sorts of things. And so we have to be aware and on guard. Maybe I just say it this way. Brothers and sisters, we should be far less concerned about whether or not our little Fluffy will go to heaven when she dies and far more concerned with whether or not Mr. Fred, our next door neighbor, will go to heaven when he dies. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 that God values the little sparrow in the sky. Did you hear that? God values the little sparrow, the little sparrow in the sky. God values that sparrow, and so should we. But then Jesus says this, Are you, and he's speaking to humans, are you not of more value than they? From Genesis to Jesus, we see that humans are more valuable than every other part of creation because only humans are made in the image of God. Second truth I want to share with you today is this. All humans are equally valuable. Church, all humans are equally valuable. I want you to notice the word the text uses in verses 26 and 27. Twice we see the word man here. Twice we see the word man. It's the Hebrew word Adam. Adam. It's the word that's translated man. Sometimes it's translated Adam. Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. And then notice verse 27. So God created man 
in his own image. The word translated man can be used really three different ways. It can refer to an individual man, like that man over there, he's a funny man. All right, that we could use it as an individual man. Or we could use it to speak of mankind, the human race, humanity, man. God created man, meaning humanity. Or it can sometimes refer to a man's name, translated Adam, right? And so if your name is Adam or you know somebody whose name is Adam, their name is the Hebrew word for man. That's what their name means. It means man. Now, it's clear in verses 26 through 27 which one of these uses of man God is, use, is, is referring to. He's not referring to an individual man, and he's not referring to an individual man named Adam. He is referring to mankind. He is referring to humanity. Notice it says of man in verse 26, let them have dominion. So clearly this man who is created in God's image is plural. He's talking about all of humanity. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Notice the plurality there. So he's creating man, but it's actually male and female who are more than one. It's them, male and female. So when it says man is created in the image of God, it's talking about all of humanity. Church, not just certain humans are made in the image of God, but all humans are made in the image of God. The only distinguishing mark between humans, God points out here, is that of male and female. And he says of both, they're made in the image of God. Which means that if all humans are made in the image of God, which they are, and if they're valuable in God's side as his creation made in his image, which they are, then we must treat all humans with value and dignity. And when we fail to treat all humans as equally valuable, we are acting contrary to how God made the world, which means we are acting contrary to God, which means we are sinning against Almighty God. There are two particular places in Scripture where we see that the right treatment of humanity is rooted in this truth that humans are made in the image of God. The first is found in the book of Genesis. After the global flood, just a few chapters later, after chapter 1, After the global flood, God told the humans, which was Noah and his family, that they could kill animals and fish and birds to eat. But they were not to shed the blood of man. And in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, God says this, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. And throughout the rest of Scripture, we see that this truth is the foundation for murder being sin. In fact, that verse tells us that God values human life so much that murdering someone is punishable by death. Of course, there are many things we could talk about along those lines, but for now, I just want you to see the big picture. God greatly values all human life. He's not just saying this to part of Noah's family. It's a general, timeless statement that covers all of mankind. He greatly values all human life, and so should we. Which most definitely means that we are not to murder people, and those who do should be held accountable. I want to take just a moment and see how this impacts some different areas of life in our world today. Consider how this view impacts our view of the unborn. Unborn humans. Those who are 
alive inside their mother's wombs. Church, if all humans are created in the image of God, then murdering a human being, regardless of his or her size or level of development or environment or degree of dependency, is wrong. Because none of those things determine whether or not that unborn being is a human being made in the image of God. If what is in the mother's womb is a human, which clearly it is, should be clear to us that what is in the womb is a human being, because it is the living offspring of the reproduction process of two humans, doesn't it take a PhD in biology to figure that one out? If it is a human being, then it is an image bearer of God. whose life is valuable in God's sight. And so to take that human's life is murder, no different than taking the life of a 2-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 20-year-old or any other human. Consider how this teaching impacts our view of the sick or the aged, the elderly. Church, a human doesn't stop being a human in moments of incredible sickness or when age is drawing that person near to death's door, which means intentionally killing a sick person or an elderly person is destroying someone created in the image of God. Thus, euthanasia is murder, regardless of whether it is physician-assisted or not, or regardless of who does it or not, or who signs the papers or not, whether that person wanted it or not. Consider how this doctrine of being made in the image of God impacts our view of the mentally or physically handicapped. Are they human? Yeah, they're human. A handicap doesn't take away our humanity, which means they're made in the image of God and are worthy of the same dignity and respect and life as those who do not have the same handicaps. Why? Because as image bearers of God, they are equally valuable in God's sight as every other human being. And so... Handicapped parking on one hand and choosing life for those who are already handicapped in the womb is a byproduct of the fact that all humans are made in the image of God and are worthy of respect and dignity. Consider how this truth that we're made in the image of God impacts our view of the justice system. We should want all people, regardless of their skin color, or level of monetary wealth or family connections, to be treated equally in a court of law. For instance, a society that punishes the same crime with different punishments depending upon the color of the person's skin is a society which has lost sight of the truth that all people are equally image bearers of God. I believe that the government is justified in putting to death the murderer, but I also believe the same foundational truth that justifies capital punishment also demands that we give that same punishment to the white murderer and the brown murderer and the black murderer after we have given all three an equal chance to prove that they are not guilty. Why? Because all humans are created in the image of God. Now, if you haven't murdered anyone this past week, or wrongly convicted someone of murder because they took, or because they look different than you, or, or tried the take of the life of someone who is handicapped or their parking space, then it might be tempting to say, "Well, I'm not guilty here." I mean, man, preaching preaching to all those people in our, in our, out in our world. But that's not me. That's not me. 
I'm good here. I'm good with treating people as being made in the image of God. Let's just move on to the next point. Hold on. Hold on. Before we pat ourselves on the back too quickly, let me just remind you of the words of Jesus who said in Matthew chapter 6, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. You see this church? You see, we can violate God's creation order of making man in his own image by verbally insulting someone just as much as we can by murdering that person. In fact, the second place in Scripture where we see our treatment of others tied directly to our being made in the image of God falls right in line with what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus' brother, half-brother, James, wrote this in James chapter 3. He said, it, speaking of the tongue, it, the tongue, is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Did you catch that? Made in the likeness of God. Sound familiar? Yes, sounds just like Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. From the same mouth, James writes, come blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Don't just think curse words, bad words when you hear cursing. It's talking about speaking evil towards anyone, putting people down, mocking, making fun of, insulting, whether you use what we call curse words or not. It's talking about destroying with your words someone who is made in the image of God. Now, I believe, is when we stop patting ourselves on the back and start crying out to God for mercy because in light of what Jesus said and in light of what God said through James, we are all guilty of failing to treat people as made in the image of God. Church, we don't have to always agree with one another or with others in our world. In fact, we should strongly disagree on numerous issues with anyone who is living life apart from a Christian worldview. We can and we should stand up for what is right and good and true. But there is nothing, nothing at all God-honoring when it comes to insulting, slandering, gossiping, and name-calling people who are made in the image of God. And that means every human the ones you like and the ones you don't like. The ones who look like you and the ones who don't look like you. The ones who vote like you and the ones who don't vote like you. The ones you voted for and the ones you didn't vote for. The people who live in the same part of town as you and the people who live in a different part of town than you. The kind bosses and the mean bosses. The easygoing co-workers and the hard-to-get-along-with co-workers. The thoughtful neighbors and the disrespectful neighbors. Your nice siblings and your annoying siblings. All are made in the image of God. All should be treated as image bearers of God. With our actions, with our spoken words in public and in private, with what we type out on social media, including what we share, including what we like, and even in our thoughts, and even in our thoughts, 
Church, because all humans are made in the image of God, all humans are equally valuable to God and therefore should be equally valuable to us. Truth number three. Three truths today. Truth number three. The creation distinction between male and female must be valued as essential. The creation distinction between male and female must be valued as essential. The text says in verse 26, male and female, he created them. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Male and female. I want you to notice, I want you to notice that this is not a side issue. This is in Genesis chapter 1. This is a part of God's very good creation. He made them male and female. God's Word is telling us that part of what it means to be made, for mankind as a whole, to be made in the image of God is that we are created male and female. God did not create us all one gender, nor did God create more than two genders of humanity. God created humans male and female. That's it. Remember what I said earlier about the truths of Genesis flying right in the face of the society in which we live. This means, this means, let's see what what does this mean for, for us, even as followers of Christ. This means that one of the ways you live out the truth of being made in the image of God is by living clearly as either male or female, depending on which one God created you to be. If you're a man... If you're a man, then embrace manhood and pour yourself into living out God's design for men. If you are a woman, then embrace your womanhood and pour yourself into living out God's design for women. And He gives us His design for men and women all throughout Scripture. Obviously, though, we live in a society which has decided it is good to blur the line between the creation distinction Male and female. The world God made and the world God said was very good was a world where there was a very clear line of distinction made between male and female. And so any blurring of this line is a rejection of what it means to be made in the image of God. Which is a rejection of the God who made us in His image. We are not free to add genders, nor are we free to combine the two distinct genders of male and female, nor are we free to try to erase gender. And this is true regardless of the time and place and society in which you live. Friends, there is a creation distinction between male and female that transcends geographical location and cultural changes and technological innovation and psychological research and medical possibilities and individual feelings. 
There is a timeless truth that God created humans, male and female, and the rest of Scripture upholds this creation principle as a governing principle for our lives. And that never changes. This means that when a person tries to be a different gender than that assigned by God before his or her birth, that person is defying defying the creation order of God and is therefore rebelling against God. And likewise, when a person tries to invent a different gender than male and female, that individual is stepping outside of God's creation design and is therefore sinning against God. And what I want you to see here is that upholding the distinction between male and female and living as the one gender God made you to be is a an essential part of what it means to be made in the image of God in a very real way. And I, I, can't, I can't fully wrap my mind around this as a, as a human, as someone who is not God. But in a very real way, God's image is best displayed in humanity when humans are male and female. If, if it was displayed, His image was displayed better a different way, He would have created us a different way. But He didn't. He created us in the very best way to best display His divine image. And the way that He did that is by creating us male and female. If you're confused, if you're confused about which gender God made you to be, I'm not not being sarcastic when I say this. I want you to hear me out. If you're confused about which gender God made you to be, You can spend a lot of money and have your DNA examined, or you can save some money and just look in the mirror wearing what you came into the world wearing. I'm not not being sarcastic in that. My, My point is this. God, remember what we saw last week, God is a God of order and not of chaos. He's not He's not a God of chaos. And see, He didn't create us in such a way that we just go, well, great, who knows? Who knows what who knows what I'm supposed to be? Because I just have to figure it out as I go. No. He's an orderly God. He created us in a very particular way. And so he matches the physical attributes of male and female to the gender he made those humans to be so that we can easily tell the gender of a person at his or her birth, and now with modern technology well before birth. And then that person never has to wonder whether God made him or her male or female. Now Listen, I don't live with my head stuck in a box. I realize that there are, there are complications that come with living in a fallen world, even genetic complications and things like that. And that will be a conversation for another time. But listen, God has been clear that He's made us male and female. And in His good creation, He clearly distinguished in the way that He made them, whether they were male or female. Friend, if you find yourself questioning your gender when your physical makeup clearly reveals which you are, those feelings or questionings are not a result of God messing up how He made you. Instead, those feelings are a result of living in a fallen world where we all, all of us, must fight against different temptations to subvert the creation order. And where we all, in different ways, must choose moment by moment to submit to the voice of the God who made us rather than to the voice of our feelings which come from hearts which are prone to sin, which the Bible says are dead in sin, which the Bible says are deceitful above all else. 
Friend, if you were born male, but something inside of you is telling you that you are a female, or if you were born female, but something inside of you is telling you that you are a male, or if something inside of you is telling you that you are now a mixture of male and female, or something inside of you is telling you that you are neither male nor female, then you must know whose voice that is. That is not God urging you to express yourself differently or to just be true to yourself. That is Satan tempting you to reject yourself by rejecting the truth of God who made you in his image as he knit you together in your mother's womb. I know a whole lot more could be said here. And I'll leave it at that for now. The creation distinction church of male and female must be valued as essential. This doesn't change with changes in culture or changes in society. Our world, our society, our culture, a government doesn't get to decide these issues. God has already decided them for us. But I also want to remind you, church, before we finish... I want to remind you in the context of truth number three of what we said in truth number two. Those who struggle with the sin of blurring the distinction between male and female along with those who are just rushing full speed ahead into lifestyles of the sin of blurring the distinction between male and female, all of these are humans created in the image of God. And while they may have made choices which make it difficult for us to tell whether they are male or female, what we don't have to wonder about is whether or not they have been made in the image of Almighty God. Which means we don't have to wonder whether or not they are worthy of the respect and dignity and value that all human beings are worthy of. Church, we must stand firm on biblical teachings regarding gender. We must seek to persuade those who disagree with us to turn to the truth of God's Word. But we must never insult, mock, slander, or make fun of those who reject God's Word on this issue. How dare we seek to promote God's creation of humans in His image on one hand, and on the other hand, destroy those made in His image the way we speak about them or to them. Church, you know what that's called? It's called hypocrisy. And if there was one sin that obviously our Lord Jesus passionately condemned when He was here on this earth, it was that of hypocrisy. To quote from James once more, The tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Church, humans are made in the image of God. And being made in the image of God means we are infused with a very real value unmatched by anything else in all of creation. If you are questioning your value and worth 
today, for whatever reason, I want you to know that the God of this universe values you tremendously. He made you in His own image. And yet much of this message, much of what I've said today, has been about the many ways humans reject what it means to be made in the image of God. This should be a sermon. This should be a message filled with only good as we consider the fact that God has made us in His own image and declared it to be very good. But instead, what we see when we look at the world around us and as we look at our own lives, is we see people not reflecting the image of God. In all the ways we talked about this morning and in many, many other ways, what has happened? Church, what has happened is that sin has happened Sin entering this world and entering our hearts does not mean that we no longer bear the image of God, but it does mean we fail to bear the image of God perfectly. In fact, we fall far short of God's glory as image bearers. We do blur the line of distinction between humanity and the rest of creation. We do fail to treat all humans as equal image bearers of God. And we do blur the line of distinction between male and female. Because of that, we deserve to be punished forever by our Creator, whose image we fail to bear perfectly. I'm just so thankful. I don't have to say, close your Bibles, let's pray right now. Because church, there's good news. There's good news for fallen image bearers. Because the God who made you in His own image still loves you and loves me and loves His image bearers even after they have failed to bear His image perfectly. You see, our God, our God has provided a perfect image bearer to take our place. A perfect image bearer to take our place. And this perfect image bearer lived a sinless life and then died as our substitute, bearing God's wrath for our sin. And in exchange for our sin, He clothes us with His sinless perfection so that all who believe in Him will be rescued from God's righteous wrath and given eternal life with God. You say, how could God do that? How could this man, this image bearer, live this way, a sinless life, and accomplish our salvation through his death? Because when I look at humanity, all I see are people who fail to bear God's image perfectly, including myself. So how could this one do that? And then how could he rise from the grave, defeating the consequence of our failure to bear God's image? Friends, This image bearer was not merely made in the image of God, but he was and he is the image of God. Paul said of him in Colossians chapter 1 verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. And if you read on, it says that in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This man is named Jesus and he is both the Son of God, and the Son of Man. And He, this perfect image bearer, loved you 
and valued you enough to die in your place to fix what we had broken. And so today, my question for us is will we value Jesus enough to believe in Him for salvation and then to live for Him as a redeemed and restored image bearer of God, putting into practice the truth that we learn from God's Word. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Lord, I thank You that today we are not here depending upon my words to learn truth and then to rescue us from our rejection of what is true. Father, we have Your Word. And Your Word is very clear of how You created us. Your Word is very clear of how we've messed that up. Your Word is very clear that You still love us. And God, Your Word is very clear that You have sacrificed the perfect image bearer on our behalf. Father, if there's someone here today who is convicted of their sin, having never placed their faith in Jesus, Lord, I pray that today they would believe in Jesus for salvation. And God, if there is someone here who has trusted in Christ for salvation, but Father, through Your Word as it's been proclaimed today through Your Holy Spirit at work in their life, is convicted of an area where they're failing to live in this world, abiding by the creation order that all humans are created in the image of God. God, I pray that we would repent. And Father, that we would confess that to You. And Father, that we would plead for Your mercy and we would rest in Your grace and we would ask You to help us go out into this world full of image bearers, even though the image has been marred by sin, and we would live among image bearers. Father, clearly proclaiming through our actions and through our words and even through our thinking the truth that we find in Your Word regarding how You have created us. Help us to put Your Word on display for those around us to see and to believe. God, You have created us special. God, You have created us in Your own image. Thank You. And thank You for Jesus who redeems that image of You which we have broken. It is in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.